what to you is a quality that makes a dragon a dragon? Like a not a not physical trait. If you were to run into like you know a dragon in a human form, how would you know? Like what's what makes them different? Oh god, Dave, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, their arrogance. Like they know they're a dragon and they're smarter than you and they're more powerful than you. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be easy for them to hide that even in human form. Yeah, you're right. The arrogance about them is uh, you know, they've got this like air of superiority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I think just their long life view of things as well. You know, these short term problems that we as humans seem to think we're always like, hey, you know, this is the the most the craziest thing that's that's ever happened. And what we really mean is that's the craziest thing that's ever happened in the past 80 years. That's what we mean. You know, mm-hmm. so th- these things that are, seem so important to us are probably not important to them at all. Or they're just really distracted by shiny things. Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Okay, here we go. Welcome to another episode in our discussion about dragons in... Let me start again. Welcome to another episode in our discussion about dragons in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I am Terry, and with me today are Pepperina and Dave, and this episode is called Role Playing with Dragons, but not like a bard does. We've previously (laughs) covered all the chroma... Dave? I'm sorry. <laughs> the episode. Don't laugh. I don't think I actually looked at the title. Don't laugh the at the jokes yet. that were written there before. We've previously covered all of the chromatic and metallic dragons that you can find in the fifth edition monster manual, as well as all sorts of dragon-related creatures and templates. We've even spent an episode waxing poetic about what powers and inspirations exist for dragons in previous editions, as well as all of the named dragons we could find in the fifth edition before Fizzbands came out. And last time we discussed dragons, we looked into their lairs and hordes, as well as their connections to magic and the multiverse itself. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on dragons that we've built there. This episode of the It's Mimic podcast is going to dig into some more details that we got about dragons from the fifth edition's book, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. From draconic personalities to their strange life cycles, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to cover all of the details you'll need to know when it comes to elevating dragons in your campaign. But before we get started, guys, I just want to ask, what makes role-playing dragons so unique? I mean, I think that there's just like an, an, you know, an unspoken like fear uh, that the, the players have. When you say, oh, and the, you know, it comes flying in and you see it and it's a dragon. Or, you know, it comes out of here and it's a dragon. Like, that's, that's something they're going to remember. Right, they people remember fighting dragons. Nobody remembers fighting the orcs, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's the uh, the inherent greatness that comes with dragons. You know, they're they're legendary for a reason. So when you come face to face with one, it's it's everything that you know to be great about them, but all of the unknown factors as well. Suddenly, is is staring you in the face, and uh, it, it's like you've come. It's almost like you've come face to face with a god when a dragon is in front of you. I think it's like the uniqueness of each type of dragon. You could role play five different dragons and they're all vastly different. They have different motivations, different personalities, different things they're after. So you could like, it never gets boring because it always can change. Absolutely right. Yeah. They got a lot that motivates them. Yeah. So Dave, I believe you're going to cover dragons in play for us first. Is that correct? Of course. Uh, And uh, right at the beginning of it, they've got this great quote from Fizban. To portray a convincing human, one must embody greed, selfishness, and vigilance. 
to portray a convincing dragon, one must relax. Which I think is why, Terry, you're a dragon. I'm a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Because I seem so relaxed in the first five minutes of this episode, Dave. Because I hit the elevator button seven times to get back to my apartment. Yeah, it's good. It's good. They won't notice it. The magic of editing, right? (laughs) And my God, did I have to edit. Uh, But yeah, no, I think that's just a a really great quote. I read that and then went, oh yeah, that's neat. And then I went and read it again and went, okay, no, hold on. There's, there's something to this. And like, probably more than I'd like to admit, like the embody, they have to embody greed, selfishness, and vigilance to be a human. Yeah. Okay. I can, I can see where they're going with that. But I mean, you, you also get that from the dragon, but when they're relaxed, am I making sense? Like, the, mm-hmm. through they don't have relaxed, to try to portray those things they just yeah aren't. it just comes so naturally to them right uh and and that's just such a a simple yet defining difference between uh humans and dragons which of course we all know that the dragons can be human so it's a good way to try to like you know suss them out kind of thing uh dragons have a lot of uh personality quirks and other things that make them unique but long lifespans inherent power flight and worshipers give them different perspectives on life. Uh, so what So what do you need to take into consideration to make your dragon feel unique and memorable? What do you guys think? Seven. Five. Eighteen. Oh, nice one, Terry. Um, what, what do I need to have in place to make my dragon feel unique and memorable? Just, I would say it's, it's how they display their greatness. And I think, Dave, you had a great point there when you, with the Fizzbands quote of they must relax. Dragons, if anybody is going to have big dick energy, it's going to be dragons. If anyone's going to have that billionaire energy, it's absolutely dragons. Is that um, a, a, a quote I heard once is when, when you're important enough, people will wait. And I think that definitely goes for dragons. They're not going to rush the way that they put points across. They're not going to um, just because you come bursting through the door with the torches and the pitchforks does not mean that they're going to reflect that energy right away and it might actually be quite anticlimactic when you first meet a dragon because they're going to they're they're not going to they're not going to get their panties in a twist just because you come bursting through the door and then start blazing off fire and things like that you're not you might not be a threat to them right away uh so i think to make a dragon feel unique you have to decide how they're going to display their their power maybe a white dragon just isn't going to appear and you'll come bursting through the door and he's not even there because he's just waiting for one of you to just walk off to the side and then he'll come down pick you up and then and uh, pick you off sorry uh, and that will be how they display their power by just kind of not being there very hitchcock right it's what you can't see um you know whereas a, a you know a red dragon may just stand right in front of you and uh and kind of flash their power off but maybe not necessarily vocally um so i suppose long answer but it's it's how you display your power is how you're going to have a unique feel yeah interesting i like that uh i think for me what i would do to make the dragon feel unique and memorable is that i think that it's often forgotten for me especially when i'm getting my guys to fight dragons these aren't just monsters they are magic mm-hmm. right and i think that you can brush over that very easily uh if you're not you know super prepared like myself um it's just so easy to just glance over it and not worry about it. Oh, it's this big toothy thing with claws and wings. What else do you need? Well, let me tell you, there's a lot more else you can do. It's not just what you need. It's what you got. There's a lot to work with there. And that's what I think makes them very unique. They're not just the magic. They're not just the sharp claws. They're everything ramped up to 11. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Pepperina. I would go with the like lead up to a dragon like they have all these regional effects they have all these layer actions they have 
like, you know, when you're getting close to a drag and you start noticing all those small things and that like is exciting for your players to figure Mm -hmm. out the puzzle and how close are we and when is it going to drop and when are we going to see it? So I would play into that level of lead up in anticipation before you even get to it. It could be several sessions before you even see the dragon. Right. The escalation. But just that lead up. Yeah. The escalation to it. Yeah. hundred percent. Kind of like a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. How, it, how it escalates. Yeah. Love it. I love it too. That's great. The table for random dragon appearance details covers a wide gamut, but there are different kinds of physical traits uh, that are right here in the book. So uh, there's a D20 table that you can roll to get, you know, something neat about their appearance. I've got a D20. I'm just going to roll a quick one. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Number 14, erect, almost bipedal posture. All right. So, uh, you know, the dragon there kind of, you know, stands up. He, that's a characteristic of him. Um, some of the other ones are maybe there's one eye missing uh, or they've got coins or gems embedded in their hide. I just want to point out the pepperina. I definitely noticed caught that when you, <laughs> there's lots of interesting features you can have. Number one, erect. Erect. <laughs> I rolled it. <laughs> I saw your face there too, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> we both like looked at each other. You like We're just going to, we're just going to. She left it at erect. Yeah. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, That's the whole podcast. Goodbye. (laughs) Have a good night. Thank you for listening. Covered it. Uh, But yeah, there's lots of different physical traits. Uh, It it talks about the disfigurement, uh, different weights and uh, unusual colorations and imperfections and, uh, you know, just other things that you would notice about them physically Mm -hmm. uh, to make them stand a little bit differently. Uh, There are also examples of personality traits for dragons. They have uh, mannerisms, bonds, and flaws. Uh, for the mannerisms, we've got uh, just a couple of uh, to just to pick a couple here. Lowers head to speak eye to eye to smaller creatures unless they're angry. Enjoys mimicking humanoid voices. Speaks an archaic form of common equivalent to Shakespearean English and doesn't understand contemporary slang or idioms. I really like that one. Get your dragon, you know, speaking in thous and thighs and mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, for bonds, this one's just a D10 table. I am close to my siblings whose layers are nearby. I would go to great lengths to protect them or avenge them. Uh, another one, I am devoted to Bahamut or Tiamat and put their interests ahead of my own. And of course, flaws and secrets. Uh, I find adventures fearsome and I'm convinced that I'll meet my doom at their hands one day. Uh, I, I mean, the, I think there's some good stuff here. It really allows you to flesh out a little bit, uh, a little bit more about your dragons. I, I like the idea about the uh, about the siblings there, you know, to have uh, three to five young dragons that are all related in a in a in a single area. I think that's it. That's interesting. You know, instead of you just think, oh, like everybody's building up to the one adult or one ancient dragon. But to have three to five young dragons is still a great encounter for a high level party. Yeah. Uh, another important and memorable factor about dragons is the unique name that each one of them has. Uh I mean, they're long and impressive. They've got, you know, these ridiculous names that I just I can't even try to pronounce. I'll just end up sounding like Dan trying to pronounce things. It's just not going to work for me, right? Uh, there's just like a, a specialness to them. And uh, specialness, is that a word? Specialist? Specialness. I don't think that's a word. Uh, but anyways, not. they do. We're making they, it a word. We're making it a word. We're taking it <laughs> over. Uh, there is a D20 table for how to 
make your own dragon name and there's four columns. So you like, you roll your D20 and you pick up the first part of the name and then you roll it again and pick up the second part and the third part and the fourth part. Uh, so it's, it's all over the place there. I rolled one up uh, before this and got, and I'm going to try to pronounce this one. Nurli, Nurli, I'm a more non tour. All right. This is just medications here. Yeah. <laughs> that says ibuprofen. So you're not fooling anyone with this thing. <laughs> Diazepam the dragon. All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but at my table, if I end up coming up with this long, cumbersome word or name to, you know, give that to my players, they're immediately going to pick on to probably the horniest uh, syllable of that and, and nickname it that, you know? Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's what Dungeons and Dragons is, isn't it? Just yes. shitty nicknames for things you can't pronounce. Um, but, I mean, a lot of dragons do get nicknames themselves. I mean, you, you hear about, uh, um, you know, the dragon up here, well, we, you know, they call it, you know, by this nickname or that nickname. And then you get there and it turns out that they've got this long, convoluted name. Uh, I think they just do that because humans can't say their real names. Make sense? Yeah. yeah. That's probably, well, and their their name is their name. Like, they they don't care about a human's ability to say their name they're not going to adjust their whole and their name is likely in draconic really it's a draconic name yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i mean humans just kind of like give them the the nickname based on their appearance or temperament or you know mannerisms that kind of thing right uh ability or their ability like you know a red dragon maybe they'll just call it inferno or you know something like that right it's got crooked teeth they call it old snarl or something like that right in addition to having these big complicated names, there, there's more to customizing a dragon than just that. Of course, most dragons speak draconic, but they don't have to just speak draconic. Uh, you could give them additional languages based on uh, where they are. You know, maybe if they're hiding under a large dwarven mountain, maybe they speak dwarven as well, right? Uh, maybe they speak common as well. You can kind of play with it with, you know, where they are in the world or, or in your world uh, and give them stuff to kind of augment that uh, you can also give them different skills uh, i mean like terry you said your white dragon there uh, maybe he's hanging out you know and he's going to come and sneak in and get the guy when he comes around the corner yeah uh, maybe you're going to give him sneak skills right you can you know augment him with that uh, so the other thing with with dragons is uh, they are innate spellcasters, right they aren't just magical they are magic themselves or because of that, you can give them all sorts of spells that, that fit what they're trying to get across, right? And also, don't be afraid to borrow traits and actions from other monsters that add that unique flavor to the dragon as well. Uh, you can change their shape. You can have them absorb damage. They have they can do flyby attacks. Uh, they can maybe heal themselves. They've got rejuvenation. Maybe they've got special senses. Maybe they can burrow. Maybe they're tunnelers, right? Uh, there's all sorts of interesting uh, different options you can customize with. Yeah, 100%. You can take from other creatures, other classes. You know, that that basic template of a dragon is is just that. It's a template, right? We can add on to it. And it's, you know, it's not that you're breaking the game or anything. You're just making that encounter more interesting for the players when you're when, when they're recognizing things that you've taken from other parts of the game. All right. So one of the things that makes dragons different from other monsters is their lifespan. Uh, Fisben says... Try not to be offended when a dragon dismisses you as irrelevant. Remember, you are dealing with an individual who hatched into the world three civilizations ago, and not every dragon has the wisdom to see how lone heroes can change the course of history. 
So an adventurer's goals tend to be impacted by their personality traits, bonds, flaws, and other sources, but they do evolve over time. So do a dragon's goals. Now, wormlings, which are aged like zero to five, uh, they're still exploring their lives and their abilities, and they may only lay claim to a few acres of land at a time. Most are raised by adult dragons, and the presence of one wormling usually indicates the presence of others nearby. There is a D6 table uh, for the different goals for a wormling. One of their goals, though, is to establish independence from their parents or acquire minions. Next, we have young dragons. These are aged 6 to 100. They're usually active over a territory about 50 miles across. They're concerned with its bordering neighbors and anyone who trespasses. There's a D6 table uh, for their goals as well. Some of the goals are to establish a lair, amass treasure, rule through fear or respect, or secure allegiances. This is when a young dragon begins to master the world around them, but they are still prone to making the same tactical errors that humans are making. An adult dragon, which are aged 101, 101 to 799, establish multiple layers that can be flown to in a day. They will hunt around one layer for a month, then move on to hunt another. Regional effects will take place around each layer, but most dragons will have one main preferential layer. There's also a D6 goal table uh, for adult dragons. Um, one of their goals would be to expand power and territory, start a dynasty, or eliminate threats. This is the age when they start to hone their tactics and start their long-term plans. Adult dragons rarely make mistakes. Keep in mind they've been at this for a century by the time they've started. Uh, the last uh, age range we have are ancient dragons, so aged 800 or more. These are the most epic dragons to ever bless the skies. Uh, they have a goal table as well, uh, one of which is thinking about what comes next and transcending death somehow. Complete collections of treasure, destroy a god, or transform an entire region into their preferred landscape. So it's like I said at the beginning of this, their goals and motivations change throughout their, their lifespan, right? Uh, now, in the last Dragon episode, Adam talked a lot about different territories or about the, the territories. Uh, these are the areas that a dragon lays claim to. Most dragons will tolerate lesser, weaker dragons operating within their boundaries and even allow them to have small or middling layers there. Uh, this is especially true if these lesser dragons are offspring or descendants. When two dragons of near equal power have a territory clash, that means war. This is problematic for mortals because the average kingdom is usually expansive enough to house two or three adult dragons. Uh, yeah, if eight dragons go to war, people are going to suffer, right? It's just going to happen. Yeah, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> uh, when it comes to how dragons reproduce, you think it would be fairly obvious. Dragons come from eggs. Therefore, dragons lay eggs, but not always. There is a D10 table here for the origin of dragon eggs, just to read a couple of them. Seedlings of the first world. At the heart of the world, underground or in a remote area of pristine wilderness, stands a tree on which dragon eggs grow like fruit. Once in a lifetime, each dragon feels an overwhelming urge to seek out this tree. After finding it, the dragon must persuade its guardian to relinquish one or more eggs. Uh, there's draconic transformation. Enlightened non-dragons, most often humanoids, are transformed into dragon eggs when they die, when they experience profound enlightenment, or when they undergo a ritual that might involve bathing in dragon blood or being devoured by a dragon. Humanoids and dragons alike understand the transformation to be a transition into a higher state of existence. There's also rejuvenation. An ancient dragon voluntarily enters a deep trance 
and eventually dies, leaving behind a single egg. Uh, now, despite the difference, pardon? There's an egg tree. Is this real yeah, life? Yeah, there's an egg tree. There, 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 <laughs> that's, that's that was the main the, takeaway there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the, there's a D10 table of the origin of dragon eggs, and that is one of them. Right? There's lots of interesting ones. Another one here, divine origin. Only Bahamut or Tiamat can create dragon eggs. Each egg is the result of divine intervention. So they've really taken this and run. Uh, wow. But the dragon egg tree, like, yeah. That, yeah, like that that's one. like. That's a whole campaign in itself, just right. trying to find the dragon egg tree. It gets into more than that, too. It talks about you have to convince the guardian to relinquish one. And now you have an egg. What the hell do you do with it? <laughs> you do with a dragon egg. Right? Now, despite the different potential origins, there are two important things that you need to know about dragon eggs. The first one is that it must incubate in the environment that best suits the kind of dragon. So you're not going to hatch a red dragon up in, you know, Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second one is that there is no standard for how long it takes to hatch. It may be a matter of months or several decades. It appears to be as long as you need it to for story reasons. I think Game of Thrones nailed that one, you know, mm-hmm. those dragon eggs forever until the triggering effect. It's not a time yeah. thing. It's, a, it's an effect thing, right? I do know that Adam obsesses over the creation and hatching of dragon eggs, but it is worth pointing out that the other end of the life cycle is just as important. I've said it before, dragons are magic. They aren't not, they are not magical. I mean, I guess they kind of are, but they are magic. So when one of them dies, it should have this profound effect on the world. Adventures should be inherently changed. The surrounding area should feel the destruction in unpredictable ways. And of course, there needs to be death throws. They give you a D6 table for this, for the death throws. Uh, one example, the dragon uses its breath weapon one last time. Another example, roll on the wild magic surge table in the sorcerer section of the PHB, uh, re-rolling any inappropriate result. So it, there's, it's doing something. When it dies, it has an effect, right? right. Uh, the law of conservation of energy states that energy can be neither created nor destroyed only converted from one form of energy to another. And that's true of draconic energy as well. So when a dragon dies, there's going to be an outburst. Uh, Now this can be all sorts of different things. Okay. This could come across as a regional effect. Maybe the water nearby becomes foul. uh, The winds change, wildlife changes, something like that. There's, it it has a fundamental effect on the area around it. All right. Uh, Besides that, you could have a dragon egg manifest within the corpse of a dragon uh, that holds on to the life force of the dragon. So maybe the death of the dragon provides life of the dragon. Maybe the dragon got this egg and then it goes into that big trance that eventually dies, but it has this egg and it leaches the life force from the dying dragon to the new dragon, right? Almost like a rebirth. Uh, or you could choose as a DM to have the heart, blood, brain, eyes, lungs, and any breath weapon organ be imbued with the power of the dragon that can pass on to anyone who maybe consumes these specific parts. Uh, or maybe it's just a shockwave that slams into everyone within a certain radius that turns them all into draconic superheroes. Regardless, a dragon's death should not be mundane. It should have some sort of large effect, right? Uh, so why don't we roll initiative? I want to ask a couple of questions. Uh, so let, yeah, let's do initiative and then I'll hit you with the questions first. How's that? Let's do it. I mean, I ask the questions around here, Dave, but I'll allow you to ask them this time. I appreciate that, Terry. Thank you for your generosity. 
Those of you listening at home would have noticed I rolled my dice twice. However, the first time is because it landed in my keys and it was cocked. The second one was a nat 20, I assure you. Sure. <laughs> I can't prove it. You'll have to take my word for it. All right. I, I got a 12. I got a three. All right. So we'll start with Terry then. Is it helpful to really build out traits, flaws, and unique details for dragons? Yeah, I think it's absolutely helpful, but don't stress yourself over it, right? This needs to be fun to do. And the and the, the traits, the flaws, and the unique details of a dragon really is just to provide you with the DM uh, with direction, something to follow. So when, the, when they start throwing spells and they're dropping darkness and bane and silence and it's all going wrong and the, how you thought the encounter was going to play out does not play out, it just gives you a, a something to channel, right? An area of focus. Is their dragon uh, diseased? Uh, do, they, uh, do they have a dragon egg inside of them? Uh, do they, you know, whatever it is, you just stick with that thing and it will keep you as the DM um, in, a, in a particular direction uh, so you can continue to play out your encounter uh, with some sort of clarity and it's not just kind of going all over the place. Yes, it's interesting for the players, but use it as a tool DMs. That is a great point. It is a tool. You're right. Uh, it does help when you are fighting these big dragons that are bigger than life. Uh, however, I think that on the other side of things, if it's just a wormling and it's just supposed to be a quick encounter so that you can say that you fought a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons, I'm probably not going to flesh out too much on that. The, the dragon's going to swoop in, it's going to land, it's going to attack, and it's going to just do dragony things and then moving on. So I, I think it kind of depends on what dragon encounter you're looking for. But uh, yeah, there's certainly yeah, lots of opportunity. Um, I would say it's a lot like fleshing out your player, your PC, like... I'm going into my backgrounds and traits and flaws and writing all that out. If you want to make it a memorable dragon experience for your players, having them feel larger than life and giving them those traits and characteristics and flaws and making them different. And this isn't just another white dragon that I came across. Um, we'll definitely make it something they'll talk about for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Fair. I like that. Uh, all right. Uh, the second question I had, is there a plot hook that sticks out to you about the draconic life cycle? I'll go. For, oh, I got that. The same initiative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I started getting the idea of uh, what about a young pregnant dragon? What about a dragon that got pregnant young, Dave? What about them? I don't know. I just think that would be an interesting twist because they're going to act a little bit differently to how you might expect them to. So something, uh, you know, uh, if you were to have a dragon like a, a, a blue dragon where you know, typically they'd be a lot more measured and calculated in how they act, right? Blue dragons are all about proving their might and doing things uh, with expertise. You know, uh, a young, pregnant blue dragon might start to be a little bit more reactive, might uh, start to act more emotionally, and uh, and so wouldn't fit what you're the, the way that you're anticipating that this dragon might be, especially if along the course of the campaign so far, you've educated your players on the type of behavior to expect from a particular type of dragon. And then something that gets in the way of this, like a pregnancy, is going to flip that on its head. And so you can keep running with that and you can leverage it to make the encounter completely not what the party was expecting it to be. Yeah, that's a great idea because you get to change the motivations and their, you know, what makes them tick. Right. To the drop of a hat, right? You can, you know, that's a, an yeah. inciting factor, right? Your campaign is 16 and pregnant dragon version. I love 16 it. 16 pregnant. Now, is that the dragon is 16 or are there are 16 pregnant dragons? Both. From one exhausted bar. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I think that the the life and death of it really sticks out to me in the life cycle. Uh, I, I never really considered the the death of a dragon having these large uh, effects until I started sitting down to, to you know prep the episode here. I like the idea of that. You, you know, it's, it's right. They're, these creatures are magical. And uh, sorry, they're not magical. They are magic. And when something happens to them, that should reflect as well in the rest of the world. Uh, so I, I think that maybe something I would go with is uh, a dragon has died and things have changed and everybody's trying to sort it out now. Where do we go from here? Everything's different. I actually just experienced that in our, one of our home games where we killed a white dragon and the big blast came out and we have um, our warlock was standing right next to it. And instead of it killing him, he now is multi-classing into a draconic blood sorcerer and his skin he's a triton so his skin is turning white and shimmery his scales are changing and it would it hit him with so much force that he was given that power and then the rest of us were a pretty chaotic bunch um just started looting the dragon i made earrings out of its scales um as you do we're taking its heart and eating it and its horn for a musical instrument because i'm a bard (laughs) So, like, as you were reading that, I was like, yep, did that, did that, did that. You had to use every part of the animal, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hunters know, we know. Exactly. <laughs> um, I was, I'm sort of more interested in the in-between. What made their motives change in their life cycle? Like, what is that turning point for them that's making their motivations change? Yeah, what made them decide to, or what caused them to to evolve their their mm-hmm. bonds and flaws? Like you could see a very important point in that dragon's life that, like, every person has a, a thing that changed their motivations as we grow older. So you could witness that in this dragon's life. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Maturity, wisdom, or maybe not. You maybe know? not. Maybe going backwards. Hey guys. This is Adam. We'll get right back to whatever Dave and the Dragon Twins are talking about. But before we do, I just want to remind everybody that we've got a mailbag episode coming very, very quickly. So now is your chance. Jump in for the next week. This is the ideal time for you to get all of your questions in through Instagram or Facebook or at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Whatever your questions are, we love to get them and we are starting to cycle through some of the old stuff and get rid of it now we're starting to get rid of all of that all of those peppery she has been told peps i know you're listening to this no more questions you save it for the episodes everyone else though please write in let us know what you're thinking about about dragons or any other topic we've covered or just just amusing a wondering you can ask any one of us any question and of course we have to answer it anyway let's get back to this wonderfully edited episode Often, a dragon who is merely hungry is perceived as angry. The outcome for the observing creatures is the same, but I think it's important to clarify motives. So basically, dragons are just hangry. That's what we're learning. Yeah. Been there. We've all been there. There are many ways to use dragons in your campaign, whether they are a battle, a role-playing encounter, or the big bad of the campaign. This section helps us figure out the best ways to use them in each of these situations by asking four questions. First one, is the encounter a goal or an obstacle? 
basically, is this the main plot point of the campaign or maybe just an encounter for this session? Depending on the dragon you use, either in age or color, they are great for either of these goals. Dave, look at the American spelling of color. You know, I was just looking at that and I, I, I was thinking about it and like I could edit that and save it again or that give you an acid refill. <laughs> I could, you know what? I could tell that this is clearly a Canadian uh, Google Drive because when I put in my notes, it tried to tell me that spell favorite was spelled wrong. Yeah, it spell checked me on favorite and wanted to add a U. And I was like, <laughs> clearly this is Canadian. <laughs> okay, so our second question. It, what's the goal of this encounter? This is where you decide if this encounter is meant to be a battle to the death, combat and retreat, or social encounter. Now, players are often unpredictable, so be prepared for them to throw a wrench into your plans. But maybe your players are too low of a level to actually fight this dragon, but you want to give them a taste of what's to come, and the dragon just wants to size them up and see how big of a threat they are. Or maybe it just has something your players need and they can negotiate a deal. Next, you want to ask, is the encounter in the dragon's lair? The location of the encounter should have a big impact on how it goes. If the players manage to make it into the dragon's lair, the chance of it being a fight to the death goes way up. Dragons are not likely to let adventurers leave after seeing the wonders inside their horde. And if it's an adult or older dragon, they get access to layer actions, which makes the battle far more difficult. This does not have to be the case 100% of the time, and the following section will give a couple examples on how to encounter dragons in their lair without a fight to the death. A dragon seen outside in the wild would have more of an opportunity to retreat, and it would know that. This is where you take Terry's favorite method of pick them up and drop them, and then it flies away. I think I said it twice. And <laughs> just to reiterate to the folks at home, the the additional time that I used it, it was in partnership with another part of the Tactica. So, <laughs> whatever. Okay, so our last question, is the dragon alone or accompanied by minions? Dragons on their own, especially adult and ancient, are a pretty challenging encounter. However, if you wanted to make it even more interesting or perhaps distract your players while the dragon sets traps or hides a valuable object, the addition of minions can be a fun way and add some new twists. Now, keeping these four questions in mind, a D20 table of fun quirks, struggles, and unusual situations has been provided. I picked out like five of my favorite ones that I think show a pretty good array of what's in there. Um, the dragon is too bored to fight and offers the characters a tiny amount of treasure if they leave. I actually love I love that. this. Yeah, I love well, this. That's great. How like, much is it going to cost to get you to fuck off? That's right. Funny. Like, they come in. Oh, piss. I am not in the mood for this today. Here. Here. Take this bag of gold. <laughs> and then you're like, if your players were sent there by somebody to take care of this dragon, they have to explain like, oh, yeah, she's definitely taken care of. Like... Yeah. What do they do? I'll just pay you slightly more than that guy paid you to come and deal with me. How about that? Yeah, yeah. How about that? <laughs> we forget this whole thing happened. I go back to Netflix and chilling. Okay, the next one is probably my favorite. Um, it's been so long since anyone has dared to intrude the dragon's lair that the dragon is more interested in showing off the lair and impressive lair actions than it is in doing any serious harm to the characters. If the characters escape and spread stories of the dragon's grandeur, so much the better. 
I love this because it's me. If you come to my house, like I, you're going to stand for 20 minutes in front of my dragon collection. And I'm going to tell you all about them. Like this is a brass dragon. You keep putting pictures of them in our, in the (laughs) the discord chat and and showing them off. Yeah. Oh, Um, that's great. I love that one. Yeah. This is a hundred percent. If you go to a brass dragons layer, this is what's going to happen. They're just going to show you all of their shiny things. And that's such like a, a morale like it defeats the morale for the for the characters right they show up and they're like yeah we're gonna get you and the dragons are like well actually no nah, i'm not i'm not yeah. worried about you guys let, let, hey you should tell everybody else how great i am too by the way yeah absolutely tell them tell them to come tell them what i have yeah. <laughs> or if there's an open house yeah <laughs> The next one is um, when the dragon is agitated, the regional effects that alter the terrain around the layer create visible changes around the dragon each round. I think you can change this even to not when you're in direct like proximity of the dragon. But we learned in the last one, in the last episode we covered, how one of the options is that the people in the area as a regional effect gain traits from the dragon and personality traits so if the dragon is like heartbroken and listening to sad songs and sobbing everybody around it's just depressed and you have to go cheer up that dragon or if it's just having a mood swing just the whole area is having a mood swing and you have to figure out why yeah <laughs> so you don't, you don't even have to kill the dragon you just have to cheer them up a you bit. just have to cheer yeah. it up they're there ice dragon. cream yeah. All right. The next one is factions and grudges within the ranks of the dragon's minions erupt when the characters challenge the dragon, resulting in infighting that might tip the odds in the main battle in either direction. I think this is a great way to use minions in a fun way. Your your players might not even realize there's this infighting going on, and all of a sudden you show up and the minions are like wanting to unionize and we're treated like shit. I want Saturdays off and just like chaos breaks out around you. I like the idea of using this one to like set the tone for the rest of a campaign. Like your players maybe have gotten to this point and they're like, Oh yeah, we're ready. We're going to take it. And then all of this infighting happens and the dragon just like takes off and lets the minions fight it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then like, you know, makes the story continue on somewhere else. You can kind of blue ball them a little bit with the, all right, here's the big set piece. Now we're going to delay this for a while. Deal with this first. And then um, the last one that I have, at the same time the characters are confronting the dragon, another group of adventurers is confronting one of the dragon's echoes on another world. Halfway through the fight, either the dragons or the characters and the other adventurers switch places. And I think this is a great way to bring in the multiverse if you're wanting to use that in your campaign. Either if you want your characters to go to a different universe, it's a good way to get them there. Or just introduce it like this is a thing that happens and your characters are fighting a dragon and poof, it's gone. And then poof, another one's there and it's confused as fuck. Like, who are you guys? I was just fighting other people. I like that idea because, I mean, I've had a couple of times where uh, I've had players that were unable to make a session, but we were about to do something really big. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can do your main session, but at the same time, have this other side session with the player on a different day or a different time that's actually helping out as well, right? Try to, Mm -hmm. to, you know, build it together, you know, split the party without really splitting the party uh, because splitting them strikes the fear of God into them, really. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody knows not to. 
We know not to. We've been told so many times and yet we do <laughs> constantly. Okay. So I've got another quote here from Fisben. Um, dragons are not in your world. You are in theirs. And I think this is very important to remember. If you are standing in front of a dragon, it's because they are allowing you to stand in front of them. You are one bite away from the last quote happening. They're just angry. I mean, okay, so you, it resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Okay, so how do you make sure your dragon encounters highlight the power and importance they deserve when the dragon is the goal or main plot point of the campaign? This section separates them into three different roles, monsters, schemer, and power. We will be covering schemer and power in later episodes, but for now, let's talk about your dragons as monsters. While dragons are super intelligent, hold great power, and can have a vast amount of motives, they mostly run off of three main things. They want food, a nice layer, and lots of treasure. Same. Yeah. They're so relatable. Yeah. <laughs> so what do your players do when a dragon has just become too powerful for an area to survive? They sort of give us three motives to go off of. Um, the first one is how to stopping the attacks. Why would an area need to have a dragon killed or removed? At what point does it become too much to handle? Maybe the dragon is burning down all the farmlands and eating all the livestock near the kingdom, cutting off their food source. Or if it's a layer that is much deeper in the wilderness, maybe it's driving other monsters and predators out of their homes and into civilizations nearby. It's possible the dragon isn't the BBEG, but instead a pawn being used by another evil source. Stop the dragon, weaken its master. I would look very closely at the type of dragon you are using and its motivations to determine if it's possible to drive the dragon away, reason with it to change its actions, or if death is the only way. Like a black dragon, you're not going to convince that it needs to move. It's there. It's going to be there. The only way to get rid of it is by fighting it. Whereas like a metallic dragon, you could probably talk less. Yeah, I, like, I like the idea of the dragon being, you know, a, a minion to someone else and them not really knowing it. Uh, mm -hmm. Going through the Dungeon of the Mad Mage with, my, with one of my groups right now. And on one of the levels, spoiler alert, there's a green dragon that has an intelligent sword shoved in the side of its head. And there's options for them to remove the sword and, you know, change the way the dragon is reacting. So, like, it's that's mm -hmm. a, an interesting way to look at it as well, or an interesting way to do it. So your goal could be to simply reclaim the dragon's lair. Perhaps a growing dragon decided to make its lair in the stronghold of a great city, driving out the current occupants and they simply want their home back. Is it possible to reason with the dragon to get it to move? Maybe the party can find a, an alternative home, or it could be a fight to the death if the dragon simply refuses to leave. And the last motivation you have is acquiring the dragon's treasure. We know the dragon's hoard are filled with powerful artifacts on top of all that gold. Your adventure could be based on retrieving an artifact from the horde, the party having to decide if they can sneak past the dragon and take it, or if they'll have to fight. A twist on this could be the dragon hiring your group of adventurers to take back something that was stolen from them. Give the party a time limit before the dragon grows impatient and starts taking it out on surrounding villages. 
Now, it's probably fair to say that if you are using a dragon as a main monster in an adventure, the end encounter will happen in its lair. This is where you get to pull out all the stops with minions, lair actions, regional effects, and any other fun surprises you want to throw in. Beautiful. Okay. On that note, I have three questions for the both of you and yes, myself. I will Let's... let you ask the questions. Paparina, <laughs> would you like to ask the questions? As they nope. You can ask the questions. <laughs> okay. Let's roll initiative first. Are you ready? Let's go. You can blurt out my die there, but uh, 11. Two. I am rolling like shit this time. Oh, lucky 13. Nice. Okay, Dave, you get to go first on this question. What's the most useful thing for DMs to take away from this section? Uh, I, I think that the, the most important thing is that there's so much you can do with it that you don't have to do something you've seen before, right? There's so much customizability. Customizability. Is that, is that a word? I don't even know. It is you. now. Excellent. I'm, I'm blazing trails today. Uh, th there's just, there's, there's so much to do here, whether it's actually with the dragon themselves or how it affects their area or how it, or their, or their region or how it affects their minions. There's just, there's so much more you can do with these. These are not just single level level creatures, you know, like there's, there's depth to them, you know, they've got layers to them. Uh, and, and you're honestly, and I think I have been up until this point doing a disservice by not using all of it. I think to, to add on to that, where you're saying there's so much you can do an ease, an easy way to get to that is to just think of, you know, if you're inexperienced, dragons essentially have the same problems as humans it's just on a much larger scale okay they're worried about somebody you know coming in and messing with their home taking their stuff uh that their money's not there anymore that they don't have enough food all of these things but you can just so if you're having trouble with how to to channel that into your dragon just take a regular everyday regular person problem and just blow it up and you'll have something to work with and then you can you know uh fantasticize it we're making up words today apparently so. making them up. <laughs> and you can make it fantastical uh take a regular problem blow it up add a bit of fantasy to it you've got something to run with yeah i um i think one of the most useful thing is just the questions like when you're making your dragon and your encounter sit down and ask yourself these questions and it will really flesh out what direction you want to go and where and why yeah you answer those questions and the rest of it kind of figures itself out mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point uh, what's one uh, piece of inspiration you gleaned from this part of the book, Dave? Uh, well, I mean, I'm certainly a little more interested in having them encounter dragons at this point. Uh, I'm probably going to make them go back and fight that green dragon uh, one way or another. Uh, <laughs> they've already bypassed it. They missed it completely, but I think he's going to come back. Uh, that's a, a really interesting, neat, different take on things that I know my players just aren't going to see coming from a mile away. So, I mean, that. Yeah, I think for me, it was just that they killing the dragon doesn't need to be the only end result, you know, mm -hmm. and it might just be that you just need to stop the attacks. You just need to take the dragon out of the firefight, so to speak, or that for whatever reason, acquiring the treasure is going to is going to do it or just reclaiming the territory that the dragon has. You don't necessarily need to kill that dragon, especially if you've identified that that's just going to cause more problems down the line. So for me, my inspiration is killing the dragon doesn't need to be the only solution. Yeah, mine was um, really that D20 table of complications that it gives you. And I urge everybody to, to actually go and read all 20 of them because they're all fantastic and give amazing ideas. Uh, I 
I only really DM for my kids, but I had like reading these and doing each of these episodes. I'm like, oh, I want to do this with the thing. <laughs> the so my kids might come across a lot of dragons when I DM for them. When you um, do it for your kids, you yeah. find a dragon erect. Which my kids would just want to make that dragon their pet. Uh, They are slowly making a walking zoo out of their campaign. (laughs) I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, that's the dream. I'd love to have a pet dragon. I think they have like a crystal lizard and a saber-toothed pug and a wolf right now that are... (laughs) Saber-toothed pug, love it. Yeah. Well, what's the biggest difference in scope between a dragon adventure and merely a dragon encounter, Dave? Well, geez, I mean, a dragon encounter, I open up a book, I find which dragon I want them to fight, and they fight it. Uh, It's really just that simple. Uh, There's nothing that really goes into it. There's not a lot of work. There are no minions. There are no regional problems. There's no thought to it. It's an encounter, right? Uh, A dragon adventure, I mean, there's there's an end game. Uh, Maybe that evolves over the course of the campaign. But, I mean, they you could have your players on a dragon adventure and they might not even know it for the first, you know, 10 levels of, of playtime, right? You can reveal the dragon later on. Like there's just, there's just a, a scope to it that just blows a dragon encounter out of proportion, right? If you were to have mm-hmm. uh, an ancient dragon and just use it as an encounter, I think you're probably doing it a disservice, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it deserves some respect. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's the ripple effect. So when you have a dragon encounter, how whatever the conclusion of that encounter is, there's just a little ripple that comes out. You only need to think about what happens immediately afterwards. When you have a, a whole adventure around dragons, um, because they're so fantastical and have so much to them, the, the ripple effect is going to have much more consequence to it. So every little part of that campaign is going to have a consequence somewhere, whether the regional effects are changing something, uh, what effect a, a layer action is going to have to the area around it, which will have another effect, which will have another effect. So for me, it is um, understanding the long-term effects of each part of the campaign. Yeah. I'd say like, it's that slow build. It's that that creepy monster movie where I think in like King Kong, you don't actually see King Kong for an hour, hour and a half into the movie. It's you get hints here and there with, with a campaign versus just an encounter. It flies down. It might take one of your players weapons. You might have to battle it. It might fuck off, you you know, and that's, that's it. Yeah. It just causes an immediate problem versus that, that slow build. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the tension, right? That's what mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Even like a horror movie, it's all about the tension. As soon as you have the jump scare, everybody just laughs immediately afterwards. You're not mm-hmm. really scared anymore because the tension is is over. And that's why uh, that's I mean, you know, Adam's much more of an expert on movies, but that that's why for me, sequels are never as, as scary, right? Because it's like I already yeah. know what it is. I already yeah. know what none is. You know, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at It's a Mimic. Or on Reddit at r slash it's a mimic, which I have made a Reddit account now since the last time we recorded. Nice, nice. <laughs> I have. Um, you could send questions to info at it's a mimic.com. Make sure you're sending in your mailbag questions for uh, future episodes. And positive reviews, sharing on social media, and word of mouth are always much appreciated. Perfect. Okay, so let's go into the final section of this episode. I'm going to talk to you guys about campaigns. So I want to give uh, three examples 
of dragging campaigns to start to to get that inspiration flowing uh, and how dragons are used in, in different worlds. So the three examples I have here from Fizzbans, the first one is Kryn, which is the home of the Dragonlance setting and is essentially uh, a battleground for an eternal conflict between uh, Bahamut and Tiamat. Uh, Tiamat commands the armies of the Draconians, uh, which are, are formed from corrupted eggs of metallic dragons, while heroes and villains alike ride mighty dragons into battle. Uh, I don't know too much about these campaign settings either, so or, or these uh, particular dragon campaigns. So these were interesting for me as well. The second one is the Council of Worms. So the Io's Blood Isles are a very vast domain which are governed by an assembly of ancient worms representing 88 clans. I should say that in a North American way, 88, not 88 is the British way, <laughs> 88 clans of chromatic, metallic and gem dragons. The council's subjects include dozens of humanoid peoples, some of whom serve as closely bonded aides to the dragon masters. And the last one is that of Tarkir, which comes from Magic the Gathering, the card game, where five dragon lords rule supreme over the world of Tarkir. And after centuries of battle between humanoid clans and the ancient dragon lords and their broods, the dragon lords triumph. Uh, triumphed and claimed dominion over the clans which now bear the dragon's names. So those are three examples of how we can use dragons in campaign settings. What I want to touch on here are little um, uh, plot points essentially and then we'll talk about how we might use them uh, within a campaign setting. Okay so first let's roll initiative because it's easier once we're, once we're all rolled. So roll your dice here. Let me know what you want. I got a natural 20. I got a 7. 11. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my action and go last so that I'm not just asking myself the same question eight times. I don't think <laughs> very well, so I will go uh, I will go last. So that Dave, does that mean you're gonna go first on this? Uh, no, I had a seven. Okay, Paparina, you're gonna go first. So, how might we use uh, a major plot point um, for a rise or a fall of a leader or an era? Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be a dragon. It can be, um, you know, one of the, the humanoid leaders or, or a change over an era. How might that affect a dragon campaign? Um, well, like we said, like dragons' lifespans are much further than the rise and fall of any mortal kingdom. But I could see them sort of waiting for that time right. to take over that territory. Like, it's just easier for them. You know, if there's this king died, a new one hasn't been crowned yet. So they are moving in. And then you go back to that. The dragons misplacing the um, people of a city and they just want their homes back. Like, that's the perfect time for them to do that. 100%. Dave? Yeah, I like that. Um, one of the things I would probably... Uh, would, would probably use as I mean working on Eberron because I haven't done that yet today uh, is look at what happened in the Mornland when this whole area of the continent is now uninhabitable what does that do to the dragons in those areas how does that change things right like that'll yeah. change the entire I mean literally change the landscape both physically and politically for the dragon maybe it allows them to maximize and, and build up or maybe it weakens them right it can have a lot of different effects yeah yeah for my part i want to touch on as though the dragons were the leaders and perhaps some opposite effects of what we might expect so for example what are the positive parts of having a, a chromatic dragon right as a nearby kind of leader or influence so say for example if you kill the green dragon the regional effect of the these lush vibrant forests now goes away 
over time. So how does that affect the nearby uh, community? What happens when the red dragon dies and that area is no longer being warmed and it cools down? Or the negative effects of if a, a metallic dragon comes in. So bronze dragons, for example, they give uh, bright hues to underwater plants, which inevitably would light up the sea life in there. So what happens now when that causes overfishing because fishing suddenly becomes mega easy? Or what happens when uh, gold dragons are, and, are the new leader, but now everybody's addicted to gambling because they're attracted to the shiny gems and the coins that are now filling up the town, right? So I like those uh, those moral dilemmas of the opposite, of, the opposite effect happening of what you think might happen in a situation. Yeah, fair. All right, Dave. What about if a cataclysmic disaster happens? Uh... Well, I mean, I, that's kind of what I went over last time with the, the morning in the Mornland there. Uh, you know, that can really have a, a large, uh, well, I mean, it's going to have a large effect on the ability of the dragon to uh, amass wealth, uh, recruit minions, what minions those could be, uh, that kind of thing, right? It, it could maybe now, like I mentioned in Eberron, maybe the dragons can get into Sire and get into the, like the, the, the royal vaults and what kind of magical items they could find there. That really changes them fundamentally or you know everything around them mm -hmm. right like that can again it changes everything right there's yeah, no yeah. more people around what what do animals do when there's no people yeah exactly right? yeah. yeah perhaps cataclysmic events um volcanoes earthquakes tsunamis yeah what a, i mean it would be interesting to have it as a like as the dragons age and they become more powerful that they caused that cataclysmic. Right. Oh, the, the red dragon becomes an ancient dragon and now all of a sudden volcanoes are erupting. Yeah. yeah. Like what happens to that area when that dragon ages and becomes more powerful and its regional effects grow so vastly that mm -hmm. it is causing all these things to happen? Mm -hmm. Would it care at all? Or would it just be like, yep, that's me? Yeah. Oh, what if it's a what if it's a metallic dragon, a good aligned dragon, which is accidentally or like rather inadvertently causing issues for the people around it. Yeah. Then it has that moral dilemma of do yeah. I stay here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But I am I more harm than I am good at this point? Yeah. And do, and do they uh do they really care? Yeah. You know, I've always kind of said that about metallic dragons. They're good, mm -hmm. good, goodish, good, good kind of good to their own standards, not to your standards. Mm -hmm. And yeah. my daughter always asks me that, like when she's when I pull out a new dragon or paint a new one, she's like, is this a good one? And if it's a metallic, I'm like, well, it's well, kind of good, but it will still eat you. You're not totally safe. Yeah, you're not totally safe. Exactly that. Uh, yeah, I like to think about the after effects, and I'll stick with that moral dilemma, because what happens when uh, bands of gnolls and tribes of orcs are all affected by a major disaster, and they haven't really done anything wrong, but they're coming to the gold dragon to ask for aid at the same time as the humans and the elves. That's a moral dilemma right there. So what happens when, you know, can the gold dragon or, or the silver dragon rightly say, well, sorry, you know, you're an orc. And so for that reason, we don't like you. You know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if they haven't actually done anything directly wrong, but there is, they aren't a community of, uh, of creatures within the world that you would automatically assist. Uh, how do the players, uh, how do the players act with that? So I'm all about moral dilemmas. 
Next one, Dave, for you. What about um, an assault or an invasion? This is something which maybe you kind of would expect more often, uh, whether it be by the dragon or by one of their enemies or by whoever. But how would you pull this into a into a dragon campaign? Uh, well, I would kind of look at it as um, what's the dragon's point of view on this? Is there an invading force uh, that's coming into the the region? You know, the the, the dragon's region, uh, and if so, is their takeover going to be more beneficial to the dragon? Because I don't care if it's a good dragon or an evil dragon. The dragon's looking out for the dragon, right? Right. Uh, I mean, yes, there are probably exceptions, but for the most part, they're looking out for themselves. So where where does this invasion uh, align with their you know ideals, bonds, and flaws? Right. This is why fleshing out the dragon is so critical, right? Because it, it really kind of gives you the uh, not just who they are, but how they're going to react. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Maybe they want to just come in. There's an invading force. Maybe they'll just come in and uh, work with the, the current occupants of the region and just wipe out the opposition. Done. Moving on. Now you guys owe me everything. You know, I want all your gold. Right. Or maybe not. Maybe they've been kind of warring and this is a chance for them to, you know, get rid of the current occupants and move on. Right. Like there's some option there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pepperina. Um, I would say, what if the other invading force is another dragon and it's them fighting and the whole community and your adventures having to decide which one's better, which one are we backing, mm-hmm. which, which dragon is going to be better for this area right now? And which one are we going to help? Or do we just hope that they kill each other? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> And then just come in right at the end. Just come in right at the end. They're both weak and just take them out. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, take credit for it. Did you see that dragon I killed? (laughs) Exactly. It has one HP left, but I killed it. (laughs) Ah, I like the idea of invading forces if they're, you know, uh, working for a dragon. If they're mm-hmm. if they're a dragon's army or they're sort of minions, taking on the personality of that dragon. So like a silver dragon's forces would be very have very like conventional strategic style. They would be like it's kind of stand proud, and you can they're all like wearing their uniforms and things. Compared to like a white dragon, which might be much more like guerrilla warfare style. Um, red dragons might be much more arrogant and brazen in their approach, but black dragons would be very like sadistic. You don't want to let the black dragons forces overrun the village because your problems aren't over there. You know, it's going to get much worse once they're inside. And so I like the idea of those invading forces taking on the personalities of the dragons, because then that's going to influence the decision of which ones your party members uh, go after first. Okay, Dave, here's your next one. Rebellion, revolution, or a key figure being overthrown? Hmm. Oh, it's difficult. I mean, I like the idea of, of there being, you know, the dragon was the ruler of the area. Maybe not the ruler, not the king, but like, you know, the, the kingdom bowed down to the dragon. But now there's the new dragon in town. Uh, and how that change, that overthrow, you know, affects things maybe this was a wormling that was brought up by uh, an adult dragon and now they're they're fighting for power how does that change not just for the dragons but for the minions and for the subjects of that kingdom and so on like there's there's a lot in there right uh changing a, a dragon's leadership or changing who the leader is uh, when you've got this draconic faction is like it, the trickle down is immense right yeah, 100%. Pepperina? 
Um, I like the idea of a rebellion, but I like a lot of chaos in my games. Uh, <laughs> so like, like the one example of the minions um, and the infighting and stuff, like what does your dragon do when its minions decide to throw a coup and try and take over? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, rebellion, revolution, being overthrown, that's a difficult one. You know, I, when I was thinking about this, I kind of went with Mike Tyson had a quote once, which was, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. And I think it's a genius. Uh, <laughs> and I like that to, to exaggerate that and to roll with it on what happens when good people become desperate. And this is the, the type of uh, dilemmas I like to put in front of players. So if it's in the situation of like a rebellion or a revolution or somebody's getting overthrown, that's going to change uh, the dynamic within that city or within that kingdom. And at what point do good people start to look for help from bad people? So how much do I have to push your buttons and hurt you before you go to the green dragon for help? And that's going to start to have an interesting dynamic on how on parties alignment on what is now acceptable to them. Uh, and so it'll kind of mess with them and start to give them difficult choices, which ultimately makes for better character development in the end, I think. So, yeah, that would be me on that one. Um, Dave, what about extinction or depletion? So I've been thinking about this one and I like the, the idea I have for this one is it speaks to me. Uh, I like the idea of there being very limited dragons and then your adventurers go and kill one. And now all the magic doesn't work anymore, right? The dragons are magic and you've now gotten rid of it. And maybe that's your first campaign, right? Is to go and get rid of this dragon. And then the next part of it is they're all without their powers. They don't have this magic anymore. Maybe they got to go find this, dragon egg tree and convince the guardian to give them an egg to release magic back into the world and what does that look like like there's that's the idea of having and not having dragons is huge mm -hmm. right they've got so much effect on the world around them not just with their magic but with their you know ability to take over a region right so uh, i kind of like that idea of of getting rid of and then trying to bring back yeah i like that i like the idea of how you're talking about how dragons really affect regions and perhaps touched on it earlier with like mood and things. And when that's removed or changed, what is that like? It's almost as though we were going to take like principles of like astrology or something and really apply it. You know how the, the changes to like, I know that's all based on stars and stuff, but if you to do that based on dragons about how people um, like it within the world would change once they're moved or depleted. Uh, I like that. That could be good. Yeah. Arena. Um, I think when it comes to extinction and depletion, I immediately think like, what if the humanoids go extinct? What does that have mm -hmm. to do with the dragon? But dragons get their power and their age based on physical items that the humanoids really created. We created the art and the magical items and the gold and everything that they are taking and hoarding in their layers. They kind of need us to make them so they can take them so they can be more powerful. So their end goal could not really be the extinction of the people around them because then they would never make it to be an ancient dragon because they have to have that to age. Right. That's deep. I like that. That was deep. <laughs> Don't come on this podcast and make everything deep, Pepperina. Simple <laughs> folk up here. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, only because I covered that section, so I know it very well. 
Um, I took the idea of balance with extinction or depletion. Gold dragons, I know, are, are very much about balance. Silver dragons are like the epitome of good, but gold, by my understanding, is much more about balance. So what mm-hmm. happens if, like, uh, gnolls were, were about to become extinct? Does the gold dragon then approach the other races, approach the humans and the elves and say, hey, you have to go and protect these gnolls, otherwise they're going to become extinct, and that's going to be a problem. And naturally, you would be like, yeah, but once they get back to full power, they're going to try and kill us. Oh, they're absolutely going to try and kill you. That's not my problem. I need balance. (laughs) So you have to go and defend them. That's another difficult challenge, right? Which is um, something which uh, it's that whole point of nothing is ever simple. Nothing's black and white. It's always gray. You know, the the gold dragon is a good aligned dragon, but they need balance. And therefore, you have to defend these people that you don't that don't like you. And ultimately, they're going to kill you. So I would kind of play with it uh, in that way. Keep giving them challenges. Okay, so the next one we're actually not going to touch on, but I want to raise it as a talking point for for people to think about would be a a new organization. So dragons are all about uh, factions and cults. And there's large organizations of people that are usually attached to them. We're going to cover it in more detail in a future episode. But just to get the minds going for the folks at home, that uh, to think about what happens when a new organization comes into town or into the kingdom. But the next one, Dave, for you, what about if there is a new significant discovery in the world or the expansion of science or magic in some way or, or some sort of significant invention? How do we put that into a dragon campaign? Uh, well, I mean, to go back to my Eberron roots again, maybe... Uh, the technology for making more warforges, the forges themselves, uh, have have been uh, rediscovered, and now the dragons want to use this. Could you imagine some sort of large wooden and metallic dragon that has now been, you know, like the the, the dragons took over this forge and have made these dragon-like constructs and imbued mm-hmm. them with life, and and now all of a sudden you've got these flying warforged dragon creatures flying around, like it's just. It's incredible. The idea of introducing these new inventions, this new technology, dragons are going to want that. I mean, Pepsi, you said it like players are the or humans are the catalyst for for dragon expansion. That can be huge, absolutely massive. Right. Uh, and I think, just, you know, the, the forge itself is just kind of a really simple, quick idea you can take and run with because there's so much, so, so much you can do with them. I mean, there's a dragon continent in Aberon, right? Argonison. Like, yeah. It really works for that. Uh, that's probably what I would do is just give them this like draconic structure or construct that isn't really a construct. Um, you know, and, and, you know, how do the humans get this back and get rid of it and so on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What if it's the dragon that's pushing this? They have collected, I believe it's blue dragons, collect the most powerful of people, the most, you know, wisest of brilliant minds yes to to have in their their minions and their collection and they are really pushing the science further than it should be at that time Mm -hmm. so your world becomes more advanced than it's really prepared to be because of this dragon and it's like need for knowledge and advancements and to be the most powerful yeah and how does that affect everyone around it who's on Mm -hmm. board who's not yeah, I like that. Yeah, I was thinking um, about like discoveries and inventions, and it got me thinking. There's something I don't know if you guys ever heard. Have you ever heard of the the technolo- technological curve of adoption? Have you ever heard that that term? No. Nope. Basically, it's like anytime there's like a new technological thing, like we did it with the internet, electric cars, 
blockchain, social media, whatever. You get what's called your your innovators, which are the people that go in first and start to develop it. Everybody says it's shit because it's not ready yet. Your early adopters, your early majority, and then you have your late majority, and then your skeptics or your laggards. So these are the people that are 65 and over that are now making a Facebook account. But 10 years, they said it was shit and it'll never work. That's mm-hmm. your skeptics, your laggards, right? Um, it happens the same with everything. But what happens during that time, some people become billionaires overnight, and some people say it'll never work. And there's this, I, when you're in a fantastical world like this, where everything is much more blown up, this is going to happen on a much more exaggerated scale. So f- what I would say, whatever the idea is going to be, just think about the use cases behind it and how it's going to significantly change some people's lives and it's and uh, and other people are going to be slow to adopt to it. And so what is that going to do for uh, the relationships within the party? Um, how it's going to advance one kingdom compared to another kingdom? How it may start like an arms race? How uh, it may be an opportunity for a blue dragon to touch on Pepperina's point, who's collected these brilliant minds that now feels like they can contend with a red dragon because the red dragon thinks it's stupid, but the blue dragon sees the potential in it. So, yeah, so that's what I would go with is, uh, is, is kind of thinking about use cases and who's going to benefit from this before the other people adopt this uh, idea, whatever it's going to be. I like that. All right. Dave, last one for you. Uh, what about uh, some kind of prediction or omen or prophecy? This is something that I think Eberron did. Again, I'm just I'm just speaking Eberron here. Like, this is great for me. Hey, dive um, into what you know. <laughs> the uh, the world of Eberron, like the, the realm was created by the three dragons. Uh, I think it was Kyber, Sybaris, and Eberron. Kyber was imprisoned in Eberron, and then that shattered... Sorry, Sybaris was yeah in, encased in Eberron, which became the world. And then Kyber was destroyed, and those are the... The, you know, floating around out in space and stuff. And, you know, you can get different crystals and stuff. So you, the fact that the world was brought on by these three dragons uh, and, and what that does, like the world itself is made from a dragon. The magic that was in them is the magic that is now in the world. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe they're trying to come back. Maybe there's uh, some sort of prophecy. Maybe the omen is these crystals are having some sort of effect uh, when they're imbued in different items and stuff, maybe it's corrupting, right? Maybe that's that's what's going on, and it's just this mass corruption that's trickling down throughout civilization, right? Like there's there's a lot you can do with that. If you want to deal with draconic prophecies and stuff, Eberron, go Eberron. Yeah, I've I had to get my pitch in there. If I didn't, I you know feel like I missed something. Yeah, Dave Shill and Eberron over here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a matter of time. That's okay, Babs. I would go with like, what if 200 years ago, your dragon was told a prophecy by a seer and it has only thought about that. Like it was a prophecy. These are the people who will kill you. And it's only thought about that. And it's just become obsessed. And for whatever reason, your party sort of meets that prophecy. It's whether, you know, the person who kills you has a son on their shield and your paladin happens to have a son on his shield. Right. And the dragon sees that and becomes like obsessed with your party. And these are the people they're here. They're coming to kill me and I have to watch them. And it just feeds into that fear and panic of it. Like normally this dragon is not scared of anything, but that sun on that shield really does it. Yeah. It changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would start to think about how I kind of said a similar thing on the last question, but how it's going to affect 
the people around you. So, you know, you might hear this prophecy in the campaign. It might not mean anything to you, but to another party member, uh, it might be everything. So how does it affect the dynamic uh, between the party members? How does it affect each city and community based on their interests? Who in the world now stands to lose something and who in the world stands to gain something from this? Uh, or who who used to be significant and is now no longer significant? These are the types of questions that you, you have to ask when an omen or a prophecy comes in, because this is what's going to motivate action from these people next. And it, um, it, uh, it gives you direction as the DM, something to go with. Just ask yourself a few questions. Okay, now we know the answers to these questions and then run with that. Um, otherwise, something on the grand scale of a prophecy or an omen, it's easy to, it's easy to lose uh, track of what you're doing with that. Perfect. Okay, team, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's it for all of the questions I had. Apart from this final one, do we have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Dave, you can go first. Uh, I think I have been really missing out on the dragons side of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I've been delving into the dungeon of the Mad Mage for a long time. No more time. dungeons. No more no dungeons. More dungeons. But yeah, no, I think I was just thinking dragons. over. I think we're going to be just doing dragons now. My guys are <laughs> coming for them. I mean, dragons, but yeah, you know, yeah. there's lots of options there, right? It's just... Uh, it's something that I'm probably going to explore a little bit more now after looking into it like this. It was actually because of you, Dave, that I was exploring my dungeons more because you were joking one time with me that a dungeon, they're always a well-swept stone floor at two o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon or something. I thought, God damn, they always are. So I tried to get more creative with my dungeon. Who's sweeping the floors of these dungeons, by the way? Cobalts. Yeah. <laughs> Cobalts. <laughs> but now I have to have cobalt sweeping the floor. Yeah. That's why you talk to your kobolds, because they're just the janitors. And janitors know everything. I know. I am one. Katarina, <laughs> so any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, so I made a post on my Instagram today of me reading this book, uh, just saying I was doing research, and asked people how they uniquely use dragons. And a couple of people said that they have not, because they are intimidated, too. Um, they don't think they could do it justice and they're not really sure which direction to take it. So my final thoughts are read this book, look at the, the tables, the dice tables that they give you, because there's so many excellent bits in there uh, for inspiration and you don't have to use it exactly. Like I said, with the one with the regional effect, you can change that, but use it as your inspiration for your campaign to make it unique. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to add on to what you said and say, this is where the options are, but don't feel like you have to use it all either. Mm -hmm. Just take two or three things and run with it. You know, otherwise you start to, it starts to become overwhelming. If you know the you have a dragon campaign and you, you finally get to the lair and all oh, there's regional effects, but now the regional effects are different. And now the dragons popped into another thing. And now this has happened and this is it. It's too much. Just take two mm -hmm. or three things and run with that. That will be exciting enough, but it gives you the direction. Uh, it gives you something to fall back on and, uh, and it will make your game much more exciting without being too overwhelming. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's that. where like the four questions in my area really help out. It's just yeah. four questions. Answer those four questions and you're good to go. That's it. Dave. That's a good point. I've had some really good success with uh, not knowing where I'm going to go with an idea, but sticking with it anyways. And then normally my players will latch onto something and that's what I focus on, right? Yeah. Give yeah. them give them options uh, or not. And they'll, they'll either take it or they won't. And that's fine too. If they don't want to, there's nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. right? 
but you know, having the option and it doesn't necessarily need to be fleshed out. That's what prep is before sessions, right? Yeah. You don't have to have your whole idea ready to go from, from day one, right? It, it evolves much like dragons do over time. All right, that wraps up this episode and some of the updates from Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, but we're not done with dragons by a damn sight. There are a lot of other dragons in Dungeons of Dragons, so subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, Dan is going to take the reins and lead us up and take us on a tour of one of his favorite campaign settings in Dungeons & Dragons. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. What's the most unique way you guys have seen dragons being used? Interesting. You guys want to roll initiative? Yeah, yeah. sure. All right. 12. 10. 20. Oh, even better. Okay, so I am in Got DM's um, campaign, which he's been running for almost 30 years, I think. The oh. same world that he's like homebrewed all of it. So in his world, he uses white dragons, not as like the primal hunters that we normally see them, but they are raised as babies alongside of a paladin as like a mount and a rider. And they have like a psychic link and can talk to each other and they're like mounts and just like they have a very deep connection with each other the writer and the dragon which i always I, I like that the idea of like as they're you know like a, a baby getting them to bond with their with their rider that's that's an interesting mm -hmm. uh an interesting way to do it i haven't really thought about that before but i mean i suppose we've seen it in lots of other pop culture kind of things yeah interesting who is next me uh no uh, i got a yeah. uh, um I mean, honestly, I know that I've been DMing for a long time and it is Dungeons and Dragons, but I feel like I've been focusing more on the dungeon aspect than the dragon aspect. And uh, I've only really run into dragons a couple of times. And when we have, it's been a, just a random encounter. Uh, we did do one, though, when I was like, oh, God, years ago, we were actually uh, Dan's brother was our DM at the time. And it was a, a pre-built module. Of course, it was 3.5. And uh, there was a black dragon in a lair that we had to like get our way down in and then, uh, you know, fight this dragon. And that like, that was my first real exposure to a dragon and uh, like being in their lair and stuff, man, that's just like the coolest feature that is, I guess, not um, specific to dragons, but what makes them, you know, so neat is that they've got all these other regional effects and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I've never made it to a dragon's actual lair before. They've always been out in the wild, so that would be fun. Um, my favorite would favorite way a dragon was used. Oh, we had uh, in Adam's campaign, somebody had a baby with a dragon. Or did they have the baby? I don't know. Somebody impregnated a dragon. There was a dragon. Oh yeah, there was a probably dragon. the bard. They were, yeah, they were carrying around a dragon egg. Adam likes dragon eggs, and I he like a, I like a good dragon egg as well. Uh, I like the, I like them to be used in interesting ways. So that was my favorite way that a dragon was used. Was a party member had a baby. Was it you, Terry? No, no. I, <laughs> I have 
I choose to have no uh, affiliation with abominations such as that. <laughs> okay. Can we say that, Dave? Can we say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it could have been a really hot metallic dragon that shapeshifted. You never know. Okay. Dragons also have as many very... <clears throat> I'm doing the Terry here. Uh, <laughs> don't call it the terry <laughs> yeah it's a thing it now that's, that's what we're calling it it's a thing. That's what i'm going to be known for is tripping over my words three times on the opening statement oh you're known for a lot of other things on this podcast terry <laughs> I, i'm trying to change a lot of them to be honest <laughs> hey, i do believe that i was supposed to go first on all of those questions terry on which question on all of those <laughs> In my section? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was first. Dave, is that supposed to happen? It's okay. I'm sure Adam can fix that in editing. We'll fix that in post. It'll just be Adam's voice. Totally fine, though, because I always get so nervous when I'm first because I don't know what to say. So I need to listen to somebody else talk. Oh, I figure it out. I I got a 20, and you said you had an 11, and I was was like, yes, I get to go last. Yeah. I wasn't going to And then you put me first. I went from last <laughs> to first. And you know what? It's all right. <laughs> I, you had me first on the first question. And then you switched it. And I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let this. But if it messes up, it's Adam's fault and not yours. Naturally. Yeah. It's been the story of my life. It's always Adam's <laughs> fault. I've been leaning okay. on that for 35 years now. Thanks for being a jerk, Dave. Bye.